Today's a very, very important Sunday, and I can tell some of you have already declared your loyalties as it relates to uh, who you hope wins the big game today. How many of you just don't care at this point? You just don't want the Patriots to win. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a number of you at this point that the only reason you're going to be watching is because it's an opportunity for us to eat snack food and watch commercials. By the way, there'll be no prayer tonight because, because of this important fellowship event that's going to be taking place around our city. Uh, I figured we'd just kind of throw that out there. And how many of you do hope the Patriots win just because that's your team? God bless all of you. The force has been with you lately, and uh, it'll be an interesting day. Today's an exciting day for us as a church because in, at the conclusion of the message this morning, we're going to be receiving... Uh, into our, our fellowship a list of people who have gone through the membership class this year. We always do this the Sunday before our annual business meeting so that, uh, number one, you can be familiar with the people that are going to be joining us and also so that they can participate in, uh, in the voting and the elections that are going to be taking place. But today, before we get to that, I want to set this up with a message that fits into the theme that we have been studying for the past several weeks about I pray, and that's the series that we've been having is a, a series called I Pray, and today we're going to be approaching the topic of I Pray for Unity. I Pray for Unity. We've been talking, uh, last week we took a little break from the series, from the, the, the words of Paul to enter into uh, a praying for healing, and, and uh, because that is something that at the end of January, which is for us a month where we we set aside and, and really spend time focusing on prayer. We've discovered that the end of that month is a wonderful time for us to set aside a Sunday where we specifically pray with people to be divinely healed. And uh, in both of our services last Sunday, uh, we had a number of different prayer groups that were led by uh, our deacons and our pastoral staff and, and different elders within our church. And, and I believe that with five different groups praying in each service, it still took us about 30 to 35 minutes to get through everybody that was needing a physical touch from the Lord. And even throughout this week, I've, I've heard some great testimonies about what God has done. But today I want to go back to the words of Paul as we begin to focus on a prayer that Paul had prayed that teaches us. And this all started because a few weeks ago we all said we, we believe that God answers prayer, we believe that there's power in prayer, and we also believe that we should pray more. And so we've been doing this series on how to teach us how do we pray so that we can pray more uh, and understanding the way that God wants to begin to work within his family. And so today I'm going to ask that you would turn, if you would, to uh, Romans chapter 15. And I want to read a couple of verses, verses 5 through 7. As we begin to talk about unity in the church, and as we do this, I just, I just want by a quick show of hands, how many of you at one time or another have heard somebody criticize our church or perhaps me or perhaps something that was going on here at one time or another? Have any of you ever heard that? You can, you can be honest, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Several of you have, I lied, it does hurt my feelings. <laughs> I'm just joking. I really do have pretty thick skin. What I want us to understand, and there were a number of people that responded to that, is, is that we live in a day and age that for whatever reason we are really good at criticizing things. In fact, we're probably better at criticism than we are at unity. And in the middle of this, in the church world, uh, we can become either so provincial or so protective of what we consider to be right that, that we hold others at arm's length. And in the middle of that, Paul, in his prayer to us, in Romans chapter 15, uh, verses 5 through 7, says this. Here's his prayer. 
May the God who gives endurance and encouragement. By the way, have any of you needed endurance or encouragement this week? Okay, so we're, we, we automatically know that this is a God, that this is what he provides for us. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. So that, remember, whenever he prays, he says, I'm going to tell you how to pray, and then I'm going to give you a so that, and then afterwards you'll know the result of your prayer. So that, with one heart and mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Father, as we approach your word this morning, I pray that within these next few moments, you might begin to open the eyes of our soul and open the eyes of our heart so that we can see the truth that you're presenting and that we can begin to walk in obedience to that so that we can fulfill this. I ask, Lord, that as you begin to expand our prayer life, as we begin to pray for unity, that we would begin to see the strength of the people of God as they work together. And so, Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul's prayer is this. I want you to treat one another as Jesus would treat each other. I want you to think about each other with the same thoughts that Jesus would think about each of you. I want you to love one another, displaying in action your feelings for one another in the same way that Jesus would do that. In other words, let Christ Jesus be the example for our behavior and our words and our love and our acceptance of one another. And so we begin to see this pattern as Paul uses it in this prayer. And then he begins to teach, speak to us about and the, the expected result of treating each other and praying for unity in this is that with one mind and with one voice you may glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 7, and we'll come back to this verse in, in a few minutes. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. And when you do this, you'll bring praise to God. So if you want to glorify the Lord, how many of you want to live a life of worship? And when we talk about worship, we're not talking about just the singing that we do. We often kind of classify that as, well, we have had great worship today. But the Bible talks to us about living lives of worship, lives of praise. That within the way that we live and, and live our lives, that there is a glory that is given to God. And so we, we recognize that if we want to live lives that glorify God and lives of praise, that there is something in the way that we treat one another that demonstrates to others how great God is within our life. Now, if Paul had said this prayer and it was absent any of, of uh, supporting Scripture or supporting words from Jesus, then we would begin to... But here's what Jesus says in a prayer, and this prayer is found in John 17, verses 20 to 23. And you'll notice that it's very consistent with what Paul prayed. Jesus is saying, I pray for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given the glory that you gave me and that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as I have loved you. So Paul prayed for unity. And Jesus prayed for unity. So why, when you put these prayers together, 
that he, he begins to express to us that there is a glory that is represented in our life that the world can begin to see when we begin to live in unity. So as we were going through these prayers, this is the third one. The first one we, we looked at was Paul when he was talking about we're praying for spiritual power that would help us in our prayer life quit praying dull, mundane little prayers and begin to pray bold, faith-filled prayers that when God answers them, we step back and we begin to recognize this was a God thing. He says, test me in this and try me in this. The second thing we talked about was pray that we would share our faith, that we would live a lifestyle of just sharing our faith. Now, since that time, and many of you came to the altar and we prayed a commissioning prayer, how many of you have had an opportunity to share your faith that God has brought you? Not as many as I expected. Some of you have been keeping yourselves locked in your house and you need to get out a little bit more often. I went to a sportsman's show at the fairground a week or so ago and, and I got to a second booth and for whatever reason as I'm talking to the people that were uh, kind of overseeing an Oneida Lake Association, I don't know how the conversation started but the, the president and the vice president were there and they began to speak to me and somehow things turned to a spiritual question. And I, I, I said, where did that question come from? And the lady says, I don't know. I've just kind of been on a spiritual journey. Do you know anything about that? And I said, I just happened to be a pastor. And I spent an hour, an hour talking to this couple, and I didn't get to see any of the rest of the booths. So those of you that went, I hope you enjoyed it because they closed it. But I begin to recognize it's amazing how God leads you into these things when you simply say, Lord, I'm available, just use me however you need to use me. And so today we're going to add to our consistent prayer life, praying for the unity in the body of Christ. Why do we fight so often? Why do we criticize so often? And I think part of that is because somehow we think that the Christians and the churches down the street are our enemy. It's only that we can get to a place where we recognize that we have a common enemy that we can begin to work together. When I was in college, I went to Evangel University, and, and when I was there, I lived in a dorm that was called Scott Hall, and there was uh, three floors on each side of this, and I was on Scott 3rd North, and, and we were in a battle all the time for our dorm championship with Scott 2nd North. In fact, we just didn't like those guys. And uh, it wasn't until way across the campus there was another dorm called Krause Hall, and that's where all the, the evil Philistine Christians lived, that they challenged us to a dorm championship when we suddenly began to recognize that we, in unity of our dorm, could put together a team that would challenge those unlawful Philistines. And uh, we recognized that there's something about having a common enemy that brings people together. I don't know if you know it or not, church, but we have a common enemy. That it's going to be to the place where we've seen things even in our own state recently where the church is going to have to stand up in unity. The church is standing up in unity. And with one voice begin to recognize that we can't afford to fight against each other. We've got to stand together. Because the enemy is trying to destroy the very fabric of our nation and the very fabric of our families. By the way, my sister married a guy from Krause Hall, and I discovered he wasn't all that bad. Uh, <clears throat> so as we're talking about praying for unity, if you have your bulletin, there's three things I'd like to mention quickly that we can begin to recognize. First of all, we pray for unity because we need each other. We pray for unity because we need each other. In Romans chapter 12, verse 5, it said, So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. 
We have a statement of who we are that, that is represented in so many different places that we at Grace Assembly, we are a community of hope welcoming people home. The terminology that we use in welcoming people home is because we recognize that home brings a warmth to us. When you are home, and we saw some videos in, in October as we were talking to some of our, our newer families, and they were talking about the sense of, of what it was like when they got here, this, this sense of being home. When you're part of a family, you recognize that, that all of you in the family have different giftings and different abilities, but you know where you fit. I think of home, and I recognize there's a place at the table for me. When I go home, there's a place that's set for me. I know I can be involved in those things. And, and we in the church need to come to an understanding that we need each other. It's not just that one is a hand and not the ear, or one is an ear and not the foot, but that there's a body that God puts together and that although we come with different giftings and different talents, there's a need for all of us or we cannot be healthy. We belong to each other. And we are a part of a broader family. And we're, we're different by design and we need to understand this about unity. And if you're taking notes, jot this down. Unity is not the same as uniformity. Unity is not the same as uniformity. We actually are stronger because of our differences. In our differences, it gives us an ability to reach many, many, many different people. I've had conversations with people that have come to our church and, and visited here, and, and generally I like to ask them a little bit about what their personality is and, and what it is that, that allows them to sense the presence of the Lord. And I've come to discover that not everybody that comes here, this is the best fit for them. There are other churches that preach Jesus Christ that might be a better fit for them, and, and coming to that understanding is, is important when each of us are trying to find our place at home. And I have had to be very careful, and maybe you're the same way, because I get to be a part of this family, which I think is a pretty great family, by the way. Because I get to be here, I have to be very cautious that I do not speak in such a way that demeans other churches. And in fact, it can come across in some ways so easily, you know, and conversation says, well, you know what, we're, we're, we're not like them, we speak the truth here. Uh, you know, we're not like that church over there because I can tell you that when you come here, you're going to hear the whole Bible. You're going to hear the whole gospel here. And, and even in the way that we approach conversations, we can begin to put others off as something less than. And that is not what the Lord is talking about here. You know, it's easy for us to say, well, you know, we're not like those boring churches. Or, or you know, we're not like the chosen frozen that have no energy and, and uh, you know, that everything is so quiet. Or we're not like the big mega churches where you get lost. Or we're not like the small country church or the seeker sensitive. Or we're not like those non-Pentecostal people. I, I believe that what the Lord is instructing us here is to let's be who we are. Let's live who we are. Let's be who we are. And let's build one another up. Because if we're going to make a mistake, I would rather have the mistake be that we are unified as a body of believers, that we are building each other up, that we are praying for one another in whatever personality of expression that they may have. As long as Jesus Christ is preached to Savior, we can be in unity together for the good of God. Now, I'm not saying that I will not call out blatant error. If there are others that are preaching a gospel that is not of Jesus Christ, then we will call that out. But I believe that we can be in greater unity. In fact, I'm a missionary's kid. My folks spend a number of years in, in East Africa. And what we discovered in conversations is that the church 
And when I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about with the capital C, everybody who believes in Jesus Christ. The church is much more unified outside the borders of the United States than they are inside the borders of the United States. I begin to discover that there were, there were Baptist missionaries and missionary alliance and assemblies of God that had discovered a power in working together that begin to affect the countries that they lived in. And, and then they come back and they see a fracture and a splinter of what's taking place here. And I believe that we are in unity with those that proclaim Christ and that this is what he's talking about. There are followers of Jesus in Uganda and Nepal and Europe and South Africa and Cuba and South America that may have different expressions, but they are praising the name of Jesus. And we are part of the family together with them. So Paul is saying we worship one name, and that name is Jesus. We pray for power because we need power. We'll be active in sharing our faith because that's part of who we are, but we also need to be in unity with one another. Secondly, we pray for unity because the world will see God's love through our unity. When we are unified as a family of God, the world, those outside, those that may not be a part of our faith will look and they will see demonstrated the active, passionate love for Jesus and his family. In fact, I love the imagery of Romans chapter 15, verse 7, when it says this, and I mentioned to you a while ago, I was going to get to this verse. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. In fact, as I begin to break this verse down, there's a Greek word there that I'm not even going to attempt to try to mention because I would just butcher it. But let me tell you the imagery of the word when it was talking about accepting one another as Christ accepted us. The imagery of this word is that you would see somebody and that you would embrace them. That you would hug them. We're a hugging church for those of you that that may not know it, we, we like to give hugs here. There's something about the warmth of the embrace that brings a sense of belonging and love and care. And, and that's what this Greek word says. It says that Jesus embraced us when? When we were still in sin. He didn't wait until, you know what, you take a shower spiritually and then maybe I'll give you a high five. No, he said while we were still in the depths of our sin, he came and loved us and received us and, and accepted us. And it was in relationship that he began to do an inward work in us that brings us to righteousness. And so when we talk about how are we as a church to demonstrate to our world the love of God, there needs to be something about us that looks at people and says, I don't know what journey you've traveled I don't know what belief system that you have espoused, but what I want you to know is that the Christ in me loves you enough to welcome you where you are, and we will let Christ do a redeeming work in you, that we will love the world, not hate the world, that we will embrace them and let Christ do a great work within them. I grew up in an age and where, frankly, the church that I grew up in, everybody in town knew what we were against. It's a town of about 5,000 people in the middle of Nebraska, and people would always ask me, even as a little kid, oh, your church doesn't believe in this, or doesn't believe in that, or doesn't believe in that. And so I grew up with the idea that being a Christian was about being all the things we're against. It wasn't until I got a little bit older that I began to recognize that being a Christian is about all the things we're for, all the things that Christ wants us to be involved with. 
and experiencing the grace of love in Jesus Christ and that within that there comes tremendous freedom in the way that we can begin to express that. In fact, Jesus could not have said it more clearly than when he spoke in John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new command I give to you. It is to love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, now watch, because he goes on then in, in, in verse 35, and he says this. So here's, here's what happens as a result of us being obedient in unity and love. By this, all men. How many men? All men. In other words, there is an observation that is taking place in the world. You may not want to be watched, but you are being watched. You're being observed. It says, by this, all men, everybody who's looking at you, will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Some of the greatest testimony that you will ever have will not be with words, but will be with the way that you treat people. People will determine whether or not that your relationship with God is valid enough to be an influence in their life by the way that you act on a daily basis, whether it's in the workplace or in your home or the way you speak to your children or the way you speak to your husband or your wife. They are watching all of the time. And frankly, they're watching so that they can try to disqualify your influence in their life so that they don't have to follow God. But the Lord says, if we will just learn to live in unity and, and love one another and, and love those around us in such a way that everybody who's looking at you will also come to an understanding that they will know you're my disciple because of the way you love one another. And so this is why we pray. We don't pray small, general prayers. We pray big, specific, faith-filled, passionate prayers because it takes faith to pray for a very divided church. And again, that's the capital C, the church at whole in the world. That we would be unified as a church to stand together so that the cause of Christ may be seen as an influence in our world. And we need each other. We need each other. So that the way we treat one another, people can look and see that it's through our love we earn the right to speak to them. And thirdly, we pray for unity because the local church is the hope of the world. We can do infinitely more together than we can do apart. And quite honestly, we want to do everything we can to demonstrate unity. We want to do everything possible to support churches. I had a great conversation with one of the best friends I've got in the world. His name's Pat Hilke. I've talked to him about him many times. He pastors a church in Buffalo, and, and he is one of my accountability partners in life. And we were, we were talking last week, and I was sharing with him some thoughts in preparation of this series, and and he says, that's really interesting that you're going to be talking about unity. He said, because let me share a conversation I had this week with somebody in my church. He said, a lady came to our church, and her son has now moved out of the youth ministry and is now kind of in a young adult age where he doesn't feel as if there's anything in youth group for him any, any longer, but doesn't quite yet feel like he's ready to dive into the adult ministries. And so she was asking me, why don't we have a young adults ministry here? And he looked at her and he says, listen, we have, we have tried to do this at our church a number of times, and every time we try, it seems to fizzle out. He said, we are about a mile away from a very, very large church that on a weekly basis has about 300 young adults that go to their church. He says, they have special services for them. And, and the mother looked at him and she goes, well, now he's interested in going over there, and I just, we need to start something because if you don't start something, he's going to go to that church and he's going to fall in love with it, and, and we're going to lose in this competition for people. Boom. It won't help us compete if we don't do something. 
Some of the things that we do is we ask, how can we leverage what we do well and what others do well on a broader basis so that entire cities can be changed? What is it that, that we do? And, and I've had this conversation with my staff recently as we're, as we're expanding into a new facility and we have all of these new ministries that we want to do. And I said, we've got to make sure that we hold fast to the core that what we do, we do excellently. And if there are other places and other people that do something else excellently, what can we do to support them in that so that in unity the work of God can be done and a city can be changed? How then can we change the view of the way we approach church in order that God in unity can build his church? And this is the heartbeat and the activity of the first century church. Thank you. Think about it. In Acts, they didn't have any buildings. They didn't have online ministries. They didn't, if you missed a service, you just couldn't go to the computer and listen to it. And what they did have, however, was massive persecution. People weren't just tweeting bad things about the pastors. They were having their lives taken from them for standing up for Jesus Christ. And in the middle of this, there's a group of people that are standing up saying, we believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that there's a transforming work as a result of that because he has overcome sin, death, and the grave, and we're a follower of him. And there are people that are looking at them. And they say, I may not believe in your risen Savior, but I cannot stand back and say there's nothing to this because of the way you love one another. The way that you interact with each other as family in unity, the way that you care about each other's needs, the fact that you go so far as that you might even sell what you have so that you can give money to those who are hurting, and in this great family unity, we look and say, I'll be willing to listen to you just because of the way that you live your life. And as a result of that, tells us in Acts 4.32 that all the believers were in one heart and mind. Now you'll, you'll notice that there was no denominational listing of who was a believer and who wasn't it was all the believers who believe in jesus christ this morning before church i began to go through a list in my mind of all of the pastors that i know in our area who are having services right now and i am praying for them right now that god will send an anointing upon them an anointing upon their lives, an anointing upon their services that people who enter into those churches today will come to know jesus christ as their savior because it will build the kingdom of God. I'm praying that as a state, that somehow we can begin to bind together in unity and that we can begin to stand up for some moral things that are coming against us as it relates to human life. And that in unity, rather than tearing one another down and giving all the reasons why somebody shouldn't go to some place, that we could stand together and say, we have been bought with a price in Jesus Christ, and together we stand up and we say, this is what the word of God says, and we will stand for what is moral, and we will stand for what is right, and we will stand for life together. We need the church in unity to begin to stand up and begin to address issues that are directly against what is being done, and the Bible calls that sin. And it's in unity that these things are accomplished. You see, I'm going to argue all day long that our world is sick and tired about hearing about the love of Jesus. They're, they're sick and tired about hearing how powerful God is. They want to see it. They want to see it demonstrated before them. And so Paul teaches us in this prayer that this is a prayer that's not one of those benefits me prayers. I'm really good at those. This is a benefits everybody else prayer. Father, could you help us as a church and as individuals and as families learn to love the entire church, the broader church, those 
whose doctrine may be slightly different than us, but believe that Jesus Christ is a savior so that we can stand in unity. I'm gonna spend eternity with these folks and they're gonna spend eternity with me. What can we do to build one another up in unity together? So as a church, we pray for power. We pray for an active sharing of our faith and we pray for unity in the family of God. Why? So that God will be glorified and that people that see us will know that God is among us because of the way we love one another. I conclude with this. Craig Rochelle said this, what would happen? Dream. Billions of believers in every city, in every village, in every tribe, in every nation of the world. What would happen if we chose this week to stand together? We chose this week that the kingdom of God was more important than our own personal kingdoms and that the family of God was more important than our own personal family. What would happen? He said, I believe that by Monday, starvation could be eliminated around the world. By Tuesday, every person could have clean drinking water that doesn't have access to it. By Wednesday, poverty could be eradicated. By Thursday, everyone with a medical need would have their need met. By Friday, all the orphans in the world would be in caring, loving families. By Saturday, every person alive would have heard about the love of Jesus and that the following Sunday, we would need to take a break because the whole world would be gathering together in a worship service somewhere to give glory to God for how he can transform a world that will humble itself and pray and be in unity with one another. And so Paul says in your prayer, if you're wondering, how do I pray? We pray for unity. And I believe that this is possible because it's God's will. I believe it starts when the, this will start when the church prays and as we stand together and we don't take shots at each other, but believe that God has called us to be a part of his family, a higher calling. And having set the stage for that today, it is my great joy to begin to welcome new members to this local body of believers. I'm going to ask that you would put some music on, please. The individuals whose names I'm about to call and that we will be praying for in just a moment have been presented to us after going through membership classes, have indicated that it is their desire to be a part of what God is doing through this local expression of his body called Grace Assembly. And I'm going to call the names of the 20 people that we have, and I'm going to ask that when I call your name, if you would come to the front and that you would stand here. And first of all, that you would stand here and look at me, and I'm going to read a charge to you, and then I'm going to have you turn around, and we're going to pray. I'm going to ask that our deacons that are here and our pastoral staff, if they would please come and join me on the platform as I call these names so that we can be in preparation to pray for them. Our deacons and pastoral staff that's here could come. Denise Colkin, Kara and Lars Dewar, Lawrence and Linda Fazio. As Linda comes, let me tell you a little story. I'm just going to come down and hug you for a minute if I can. Three weeks ago, her husband Lawrence went home to be with Jesus. One of his greatest desires as we had our conversations before he went home to be with Jesus, he says, I can't wait to be a member of Grace Assembly and I can't wait to be a part of building that new church. There's another list that's more important than our membership list. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. 
three weeks ago, he heard his name called in the Lamb's Book of Life. And today at whatever level, and I'm not sure what the interaction may be or not be, but I want you to know that there's a family that is here supporting Linda today as she takes this step to join us. And folks, this is how we love one another. This is how we love one another. Linda, we love you. And we're thankful that we can join your physical family in being your new spiritual family. He finished well. He finished well. Alyssa Frank. Erica and Jeffrey Grosso. Danielle and Paul Johnston. Mike and Sharon. I'll probably kill your last name. Mike and Sharon. Dan and Jody Lasky. Jim and Lorraine Myers. John Rowe. Gail and Tom Taroli. Kathy Van Boden. Some of those that were mentioned that may not be here may be here in the second service and for all of those that are here you can stay for the second service if you like as well and we'll call your names again I'm going to ask you a series of questions and at the end if you would agree with them if you would say I will and I trust that none of this will surprise you will you commit before God and this congregation to love the church family protecting the unity of the church I'll, I'll let you say I do all at the end we'll get them all Protecting the unity of the church through agreement with our doctrinal beliefs as clarified in our fundamental truths. Will you act in love toward each other, refusing to gossip and following our church leaders? Will you strive to grow spiritually in a personal relationship with Jesus through discovering and exercising your gifts and continuing to develop a servant's heart? Will you be faithful in attendance and by living a godly life publicly? Will you commit to supporting the ministries of the church and the fulfillment of the Great Commission through faithful giving and service? Will you pray for your church's growth, inviting the unchurched to attend and cordially welcoming guests? If you agree with this, will you say, I will? I heard it in unity. As the pastor of Grace Assembly, it is my privilege to inform you that each of you have had your names presented to the board of Grace Assembly and has received unanimous approval, and I welcome you now as members of Grace Assembly. And I'm gonna ask that you would turn around, and I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to unleash this congregation to come and hug you, and welcome you into this body of believers. Would you stand with me, please? This is an exciting day. I love it when God begins to draw hearts that says, you know what, out of all of the local expressions of God's love, this is the one where I find my place. And where I find my place, I want to love and serve. This is a community of hope welcoming people home. And I'm thankful today to welcome this group of new members home. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, there is within each individual standing here 
unique, specific gifts and talents that you have given to them because you recognize that we, as a body of believers at Grace Assembly, will be stronger when each of them are unleashed in service through their giftings than we are without them. I pray right now, God, that you would strengthen and encourage each heart, each life. I I pray particularly for Linda today as this is such an emotional moment for her. But Father God, we recognize that this is merely a shadow of the family that we belong to in heaven and one day our goal is to stand with you there and be hugged and welcomed home. And we pray right now that Larry is enjoying his eternal reward with you. But Father, we also ask that you would allow us, Lord Jesus, to stand not only in unity with one another, but that our church, this church, this local expression, might be one where people say, you know what, a thing I I appreciate about grace is that they speak highly of others, that we encourage other people in faith, that we we pray for other pastors and other missions and and other ministries that are doing the work of God. And I, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would demonstrate our unity with them and our love for you by the way that we pray. And so, Lord, we embrace our new members and are thankful for them, and we ask now that you would then send us in mission to do your work. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.